Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Exodus 20 again as we continue in our series, The Big Ten, The Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 13, but also you'll want to be turning over to Matthew 5 as well. So, Exodus 20 for just a moment, and then we'll be spending some time in Matthew 5. Exodus 20, and we'll be in verse 13 for a moment. There was a little boy one evening, he said, Daddy, how do wars begin? And so his daddy said, well, take World War I. It began when Germany invaded Belgium. And so the the mother interrupted. She said, well, tell the the child the truth. It was because they killed someone. And so the dad and his uh, maleness coiled up, and he said, who's telling this story, me or you? And so she turned and huffed and walked into the kitchen, and you could hear the the dishes rattling and being, things being thrown around, and uh, cabinets being slammed in the kitchen. There was an awkward silence in the living room, and the little boy said, never mind, I think I understand how wars begin. <laughs> He's right, huh? Well, here we are. We're in the Ten Commandments. Jesus very clearly said that the, the Ten Commandments, the, the law, would never pass away. Paul reminds us that the the law of God has a tremendous purpose forever from God for His glory, to remind us of our need for salvation, and on and on. And yet, as we've been looking at as New Testament believers, we're not under the law in that we're not under the law trying to earn rightness before God. We've been declared right before God if we have come to know Christ as our Savior. And so yet, the Scripture says that life in the Spirit ought to be better, deeper, than life under the law. So we look on again today at another one of these commandments. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Well, if that's the only text we use today, we'd be through about now. And I know you don't want that. I know you've come here for a longer sermon than that. Um, Someone asked me yesterday, they said, you know, the Cowboys play at 11 tomorrow. How long will the sermon be? And I said, the more you give, the shorter the sermon is. <laughs> Once today's offering hits 100,000, the ushers will let me know, and we're, we're, we're finished. Okay. Uh, I better get back on track here. Uh, but that would be it. You shall not murder. And you say, all right, got it. Let's go home. But once again, Jesus takes it deeper, and so that's where we'll turn this morning to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus, as He did with the rest of the commands, takes it down to the heart, and that's where God is. God wants us to be people who from the heart are following Him. Jesus summed up the first commandments with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. We looked at those, and He said that the second command that would sum up the rest of the commands is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus takes us to the heart here in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 21 of chapter 5, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, If you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. 
Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. And truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Well, let's dig in and see what kind of pain the Scripture can inflict on you and me today. You have heard, Jesus said. It's, it's been told to you. The first, he quotes from what we just read in Exodus, you shall not commit murder. Now, this word murder, your version may say you shall not kill, but it understood it did not apply to self-defense in the Old Testament war that was ordained by God, capital punishment, but this is purposely taking the life of another. But then Jesus said, this all begins in the heart, and that's why today's sermon is titled, Most Murders Take Place Occur in the Heart. And so Jesus says, you've heard this, that you should not commit murder. Yes, that's part of the Ten Commandments. And then you've also heard, this was not part of the Ten Commandments, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And so they had an ordinance. There was a court in each town or village. And so uh, if you were to take someone's life, you would be guilty there before the court. But he says in verse 22, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, yikes. I mean, there he said it. Everyone who is angry with his brother. Now, there are several words for angry, anger in the New Testament, and this one, uh, orge, it's just a, I, I don't, I throw that out because uh, of its, the, the sound, um, the cognate ability there with the English, but it is a simmering anger. It is a, a bitter anger that's not dealt with that then flashes out, the other Greek word that's most commonly used, that anger that flashes out didn't come from nowhere. It came from a seedbed of bitter, undealt with anger. And so Jesus says that if we have this kind of anger with our brother, we would be guilty before that court. And he's not saying that these courts are going to begin to litigate anger. He's just trying to make the point that it's the same thing at the heart level. If you say to your brother, uh, you're angry with your brother, be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, your version may say raka there, uh, but he says it means you good for nothing. If you say you good for nothing, you empty-headed, you would be guilty before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And this word fool here was a deep cut down to uh, even their character and their heart. He says, you'd be guilty enough to go into the word there, and your version may say it, Gehenna. That was that place of smoldering southwest of Jerusalem. Back in the days of Ahaz, they had been sacrificing uh, evil sacrifices to the false god Molech, and then it became an open burial site where criminals and murderers and trash and garbage were thrown, and it was constantly burning. It was a horrible, horrible smell. So Jesus is trying to make a pretty big point here that it's a big deal to Him for us to be angry at each other. Couldn't have picked a better two years to come to this text than these two years of the COVID craze, because it's an angry world out there. And I'd be surprised if there's anyone in this room, including the speaker, who hasn't felt some anger one way or the other during these last 18 months or so. And so the Lord is stepping on my toes if He's stepping on yours as well today. 
Ephesians 4 talks about this. In verse 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. And you, if you've been here for a while, know that I believe that it might be better to think of that as be angered. The only other place we see that particular form of, of that word is over in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm 4.4. says, tremble on your bed and do not sin. And so, be angered, I believe, and I could be wrong here, but I'll tell you one reason I think I'm, I'm probably on the right track here in just a moment, but to feel that anger start to rise up in you. You, you can't help that. You can't help that people are offensive and people do you wrong. Uh, someone's done you wrong today. And if not, just wait, they will. Uh, they just haven't gotten to you yet. Um, but you feel it rising up, he says, but don't let it go unchecked. One of the reasons I think that's on the right track is just five verses later, the same text there, verse 31 in Ephesians 4 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor slander be put away with you along with all malice. So, it'd be odd for verse 26 for it to be <clears throat> a command saying, encouraging, go ahead, uh, have some anger, and then five verses later to say, put all anger away. Well, wasn't Jesus angry? Well, He was, but you're not Jesus, and neither, neither am I. And so, Ephesians and Jesus, both Jesus, by the way, Ephesians and Matthew here, tell us Anger's no bueno. Anger is no good. Cicero was quoted as saying, and, and saying, well, once anger enters into the scenario, nothing good can happen. I mean, just think of the last time, because we, we like to think of righteous indignation is the word, that we're going to be angry for God. Uh, think of the last time that really accomplished much. But most of our anger isn't even under the umbrella of righteous indignation. It's just, I'm just mad. And think of when that ever accomplished anything good. No, it, it doesn't. Jesus is, he knows what he's talking about here, right? I mentioned to you recently that old saying that we grew up, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I, I don't know, I don't understand how that made it into the English language. Nothing could be further from the truth. Sticks and stones hurt, but it goes away. But the pain of words lasts for a long, long time. Someone else well said, the words that do the most damage are usually the words we didn't intend to say, which is why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 103, God set a, a, a door, a watch over the door of my mouth. Why don't I quote it correctly here? Psalm 141, 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Which is why Proverbs tells us that where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. We must be careful with our words. They hurt. We must be careful with our words with each other. We must be careful with our words with our families. We must be careful with our words with our children. How many adults live their life remembering something that their mother or their father or another adult said to them? a long, long time ago that essentially was a curse. They didn't mean it as a curse. They just threw out something flippantly. You are no good at this. You'll never be any good at this. You always this. And that lasts a long, long time. As I mentioned recently, the Scripture is full of wonderful, wonderful advice on raising our children. And if we will work towards 
imperfectly, heeding that advice to explain and train, to remind, and as the Bible says, to let there be some very, very short-lived, temporary, ouchy consequences, shall we say, that will help us avoid doing serious damage with our mouth to our children because that hurts a lot more. That never, was never God's intention. His intention was, just like He deals with me, just like He deals with you as parents, that there be consequences, as there are consequences with God. But those consequences are to be to draw us closer instead of to push us away. But our words, when we curse with our words, push away. Bless your children. Encourage your children and your family and your spouse. It's okay even to uh, pretend you're all Old Testament and literally bless your children. May God bless you, make you strong and, and wise and godly and all, all the things. Find the, the, the Psalms, find the blessings. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you, all those things. Those actually, there's power in the tongue to either curse or to bless. You can bless one another with your words. He says that if we're angry, it's no good, verse 23. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there and first go and be reconciled. That's a pretty big statement because it's important to, to, to God that we present the offering of praise and, and various things as New Testament believers to Him. He says, but you know what? Before you come and try to bless and praise me, I want you to go and get right with your brother or your sister in Christ. That's pretty amazing. What's more amazing here to me in this verse is He says, if you are at the altar and you remember not that you're upset at your brother or sister in Christ, but you remember they have something against you. Well, that's not fair, God. I didn't do anything. How could they have something against me? Well, let them deal with that. He says, even then, go make it right. What he does not say is if your brother or sister ought to have something against you, but they don't know it yet, don't go tell them. Okay, don't go, don't, don't go tell another Christian, I, I really want to ask you to forgive me because I've been hating you for a few years now and you didn't know it. God doesn't need you to do that. That doesn't help anything. The confession needs to be as public as the sin, okay? But if you know there's something not right, he says, he says look over at your brother or sister in church and wink at him and let him know, you need to come get right with me. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, you initiate the reconciliation and then come back, which means we've got to learn how to ask forgiveness, and we've got to learn how to give forgiveness. You know, it's not very kind of us to withhold forgiveness of others when God has forgiven us of so much. Matthew 18, Jesus gives the parable that teaches this very thing, very famous parable, the one who owed the great debt, and he begged and begged that he would be forgiven that debt and not thrown into debtor's prison, and he was forgiven. But then the one who forgave him heard really shortly after that 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 one he had just forgiven was holding another one to a very, very small debt. It made him upset, and he then went back and had him thrown into debtor's prison. We see the same thing here in just a moment. But we do that with each other. But we've got to learn how to go to each other, our spouses, our children, our parents, our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to learn how to go to them and say, what I said to you was wrong. The anger I showed to you was wrong. And we have to also understand, because many people will dismiss their anger and say, I've never thrown anything through a wall, so therefore I've never been angry. 
Well, I have never thrown anything through a wall either. I'm not a violent person, but I've been angry. And it's shown in my tone. It's shown in a critical attitude. And we've got to be those who are willing to go and say, what I did, what I showed to you, what I did in my anger towards you or any other thing, it wasn't right. Will you forgive me? And that's not easy. Not just sorry, but to actually have to verbalize what we did is difficult. But we've got to be able to do it. And we always think we're 5% wrong, and the other person is 95% wrong, so we've got to be able to go and confess and ask forgiveness for our 5% without labeling it. I just want you to know, I think I'm 5% wrong here, and I want to ask you to forgive me for that. I'm not going to talk about your 95%. No, no, that doesn't help anything. That's going to make it worse. Just confess and ask forgiveness for your part and let the Holy Spirit work on the other one. But we've also got to be able to give forgiveness. Like most things, I learned most of my good stuff from my wife, and she was so right. The devil likes to take all of those things that people have done to us, and he likes to cue them up, and he likes to push play. Do you remember what they did? Do you remember what they did? And he'll do it your whole life. He'll let you watch that tape for decades if you want to watch it. But we've got to learn to treat others the way that Christ has treated us. We can't help. There's no really, there's, there's no forget and forgive and forget. We don't forget. But there's a forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive every time he pushes play that we stop. I, that's true, but I've forgiven that, and I'm going to forgive it again today. We've got to be those who know how to ask forgiveness and how to give forgiveness. I think it's a beautiful thing when believers take the initiative to make things right with each other, whether it's in the family or outside the family that we are to be the peacemakers, that we're to be the ones on the block, in the office, at the school. We're to be the ones who are setting the example of being, uh, trying to make things right with other people. It's not easy. It's always, always worth it. I found on the mission field when I would be having what I like to call culture stress, and someone that I felt was doing me wrong, and, and I'd be just a little bit snippy with my words to that clerk. And they would always ask me, it seemed like, what do you do for a living here in Japan? And I would want to say, well, I'm a Mormon, and uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit would work, and I'd have to go and say, you know, uh, I was a little harsh with my tone with you. And, Japanese people don't do that. They don't reconcile. So I know they thought I was weird, but I needed to obey the Holy Spirit. And so hopefully they went home uh, thinking something else about Christians. It's not easy, but we need to be those who go and make it right. You don't have to, to beat yourself up and to live in a spiral where you're constantly trying to, to decide all the time, are there 10 people I've offended this last hour? Just let the Holy Spirit do that. He'll, he'll tell you. And then you respond. Again, again, don't, don't, I've seen people go the opposite way where they kind of make themselves go crazy looking to see who they might need to go reconcile with. I'm telling you, God will, God will let you know. And you just say yes when he does. But we're to be the peacemakers. We're to be the ones who set the example. In 1 John, we're told that if we love God, we must love our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, if you say, I hate my brother and sister in Christ, you really can't say, I'm in love with God. It doesn't mean we have to like each other. 
doesn't mean I have to grow to where I like everything you do, nor do you have to grow and think you have to like everything I do. But I need to show not an emotion, but show love to you in my actions and in avoiding anger toward you and vice versa. When people find out you're a Christian, don't let them be shocked by your immoral lifestyle, certainly, but don't let them be shocked because you're such an angry person. He's a Christian? She's a Christian? That's the angriest person in the office. Don't let that be said of you. Let them say, yeah, uh, they're not perfect, but they're not angry, and many other things as well. But that's what we're supposed to be doing as believers. Jesus says, leave your offering, get right with your brother, and then come back and present your offering. You'll be able to come back with a right heart before me. Make friends quickly, he says, with your opponent at law while you're on the way with him, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into the prison, the debtor's prison here, and you won't get out of there, he said, until you pay up the last cent. It's much like Matthew 18. He's thrown into debtor's prison. Same thing is said about him. Well, how do you get out of a debtor's prison? You can't make money. You can't pay anything. I think the point here is the way you get out is to forgive. Many Christians live in a constant debtor's prison of bitterness. In Hebrews, we're told to not resist the grace of God. The grace of God, I believe, for you to forgive, for me to forgive. Don't resist the grace of God. He says what comes next is a root of bitterness. It springs up. And then he says, it's like a cancer. It affects everyone around you. You've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen bitter people that are like a cancer, and it begins to spread around their family, and it can spread around their church as well, and all those around, because we resist the grace of God, because God will give you the grace. God will give me the grace to forgive. It's not simple, and you have to forgive over and over and over. But we, as all, as, as all people, we believers, are those who are to be growing in getting rid of anger. And one of the ways we get rid of anger is we put on cross-shaped glasses, that we see the cross in the background of every relationship. And we're reminded, as Ephesians reminds us, that we're to be kind toward one another just as Christ has been kind to us. And we see our debt as bigger than the debt that others owe to us. Bitterness, one has said, is like drinking poison, hoping it's going to hurt the other person. And that's true they go on their merry way. They may not be happy people, but they're happier than you are because you're living in bitterness. But when you forgive them, it sets you free, and you don't have to live there anymore. Of course, going back to looking at murder, we can't help but mention that abortion is one of the biggest forms of murder in our nation. As believers, we need to pray against it, work against it. The Supreme Court will hear a case uh, maybe even this week that has the potential to readdress the, the, the horrors of the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, please join me in praying that the miraculous would happen. It's the taking of a human life, of course. If you're in this room, you're watching, you've had an abortion, I will tell you it's not a scarlet letter. Like every other sin, Jesus died on the cross to pay for it. Don't live there forever. Confess it to the Lord. He will, He's died to forgive that sin and then be healed and be restored. My sin is horrible as well, and He paid for it on the cross. But why is this in the Big Ten, do not murder? When you take the life of another human being, we're told that we're created in the image of God, and you're taking the creation that was made in God's image. 
But then Jesus takes it deeper and says that even in my heart of hearts, when I have anger that I'm not doing anything about, anger that I'm enjoying, you ever do that? I'm just going to have a little, little anger time here. It's going to be good. Yeah, we do that. It never does anything helpful because from anger comes action. Words, actions, attitudes. And so he says, let's take it down to the heart. That anger, that hatred, that bitterness that you're holding against that other, that's someone who's made in my image. And so God puts it in his big ten. Where are you? Are you an angry person? If you want to know, if you're brave enough, ask your family, ask your friends. Am I an angry person? We men are guilty of saying, I'm not an angry person. I never yell. But I've said it before. We're like that wood stove over in the corner. And we're silent, but we're as angry and as hot with coals as that wood stove, and everyone's trying to get away. Where are you? If you're an angry person, God can help you deal with it. The Scripture speaks so much of it. I've given you several cross-references today, more than usual. But you can memorize the Word. You can make it a part of your prayer life. God, set me free from anger. You died to set me free. Let me appropriate it. Let me live as a person who's not angry because Christ is in me. We're not under the Old Testament law. We're under grace. But we're under grace. The believer is free, Paul says in Galatians. But a few verses later, he says, don't misuse your freedom because we're free to do what? We're free to obey. We're free to forgive. We're free to repent. We're free to treat others the way Christ treated us. Repent today of your anger. And God will forgive you. And may Sandia Baptist Church continue to be a church where there's joy. Nothing makes me happier than the constant feedback I get from our guests who feel welcome at the door. And then may they continue as they stay with us and as they get to know us. Continue to see what is true, but let it continue to grow that this is not an angry church. It's full of grace. It's a bunch of sinners set free. Paul said at the end of his life, he kept saying it more and more intensely until he finally said that he was the chief of sinners. Well, he wasn't a sinner in God's eyes, but in his own eyes he was. He was a sinner set free by the grace of God and the cross and the resurrection. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word today. It's not an easy word for us, Lord. It'd be easier for us if it was just you shall not murder, because most have not. But Lord, it's hard when we start thinking about even anger in our heart grieves you. Lord, help us to grow in this area. Help us to be a church who keeps short accounts with you and short accounts with each other. God, I pray that it would be frequent in our church for believers to be getting right with each other, even about small things, but things that you in your spirit prompt us to make right, and that we'd be those who freely ask forgiveness and freely give it because we've been given so much forgiveness by Jesus. Lord, help us as spouses. Oh, Lord, the devil works so hard to get anger into our marriages. Help us to run from it, to repent of it, to gain perspective by remembering what you've forgiven us of and to gain perspective by instead turning it around to give thanks to you for our spouse. As parents, 
and siblings and children. Help us to keep short accounts. Help us as parents to model for our children how to ask forgiveness when we've done wrong and how to give forgiveness. And Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of the cross. There are those in this room, there may be those watching who would say, I don't really, really know that I know Christ is my Savior, that if I died today, I'd spend eternity with Him in heaven. God, help them to come and receive the forgiveness of the cross today. For those who need to make this their church home, those who need to follow you in believers' baptism, even as we will baptize next Sunday, let them come and make those decisions public. Forgive us, help us to grow to be more like you, God, and to reject anger and to be humble. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We'll stand together. The first note of the